Hi, this is Anina Livingstone, and you are listening to my new podcast, Tending the Soul of Relationship. I want to welcome you by offering all of the interviews from my seven-week Clarity of Calling online course. This was the topic of my doctoral research based on my own struggles, curiosity, and passion for the topic. So if you're looking for more clarity, courage, or commitment as you tend to your calling, you've come to the right place. I've interviewed my most cherished mentors and respected colleagues to bring you this wealth of supportive wisdom. If you'd like to take the course in its entirety, feel free to go to my website at www.aninalivingstone.com where you can download the ebook and accompanying weekly guidance. I wish you all the courage and clarity you need to fulfill your calling so that together we can create a more vibrant world. Hi, I'm here today with Daniel Four, who leads trainings and offerings offers professional sessions focused on ancestral work, relating with spirits of place and remembering our unique unique destiny and calling. His training in indigenous earth-honoring ways includes in-depth work with the traditions of his northern European ancestors, native North American life ways, and the Ifa Orisha tradition of Yoruba-speaking West African and the diaspora. Daniel especially enjoys helping therapists, healers, and other practitioners of ritual arts to strengthen their existing practices by including elements of ancestral healing and intentional time with wilderness and nature. He's passionate about embodying earth, honoring wisdom in non-dogmatic ways that emphasize our capacity for service and innate joy. Daniel now lives in Durham, North Carolina, but continues to teach in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. For more information on his Practice C www.ancestralmedicine.org. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to just start with asking you a little bit about how you found your way to ancestral work. Yeah, I got involved in shamanic practice early, fortunately, actually in high school. And then when I first began college, I was in 1718, I connected with my first teachers in shamanic practice, Becky and Crow of the Church of Earth Healing in Ohio, and they helped me to have a framework for relating with a field of beings and uh, relationships beyond just living humans. And then in a um, few years after that, after having been exposed to a lot of pagan shamanic stuff, I was encouraged by them to connect directly with my own family ancestors, which was uh, very pivotal. That was in 99, so I guess 15 years ago. And since then, I have uh, done a lot of work with my own family ancestors through genealogy research, direct visioning, ritual work, and sought training and support from others along the way from diverse traditions who also uh, prioritize or have a practices for working with ancestors and it's um, in in the meantime I also did a training in clinical uh, psychology and the licensed marriage and family therapist and a PhD in psychology and so having that background that is very complementary to family ancestor work and healing right. so yeah I, I am fortunate to encounter teachers early in life and passionate enough about the work to just stick with it over the years. Mm-hmm. 
So you work with mm-hmm. other traditions as well as your own blood bloodline ancestors. I, I do, yeah. I'm an initiate in Ifa, or Orisha tradition, uh, based out of uh, West Africa and Nigeria, and also practiced throughout the Americas. And so I'm a learner, priest in that tradition, I'm an initiate of Ifa, and Orisha Matalan Oshun, and also the Egungun, the ancestral uh, society. But, uh-huh. you know, still, still getting my footing as a learner, priest, Omuawo. So, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so how would you say that connecting with the ancestors has helped you in terms of clarifying your calling, why you're here? What is the bridge for you between the ancestors and calling? Sure, it's a big question. Uh, the, in my own personal life, I felt before this, but then had confirmation on a, a traditional Makota-style Hamblecha or vision quest that I did in 2003, uh, spirits were like, yeah, part of your work in the world is to help people, not only, but especially people of European ancestry, to have healing and repairs with family, with ancestors, mm. and with that particular facet of the mystery. And I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good to me. And I was excited about the topic anyway, so it felt like an endorsement to keep doing what I was doing. And I got confirmation as well during my IFA initiation that uh, that is a a prominent part of my life path to work with Egungun or with the ancestors. And so that was a further confirmation, but it's to some degree, it's something that I, I just, when I was exposed to that uh, facet of spirit or mystery in the late nineties, something just clicked about it for me. And so, so it's, there's two different questions. One is how I'm answering, like how I came to know that work with ancestors is part of my unique path personally. Right. And, w- and what I've also had to realize, it took a minute, is that work with ancestors is not part of everybody's path per se. Uh-huh. And so there's a question of, as a specialist in that type of work, how do I make sure to um, not project my own path and my own passion onto other people's path and assume that that's important for them. Uh, having said that, I, I do have the view, and maybe this is part of the bias of being an ancestor guy, I do have the view that everyone who's really working actively with spirit or you know, working a earth-honoring path or whatever ideally has at least a basic proficiency in ancestor work, uh-huh. which means that there's a respect for uh, the fact that not everyone who dies is well in spirit, a respect for the fact that uh, family, blood ancestors, and also other types of ancestors impact our lives in, in substantial, meaningful ways. So they ideally are uh, taken into consideration as part of the larger eco- ecology of spirit. And and ideally folks are you know, working a path, whether or not it's their calling, to, to deal directly with ancestor stuff that they would appreciate the need for it and be willing when called for to uh, help take care of things. If somebody dies in the family that they help make sure that person transitions. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're going to do spiritual healing work for others, it's, it's my personal bias that you, you really would ideally have a framework for things like ghosts and the troubled dead and all that. And so, uh, and ancestral influence, positive, negative, neutral. And so a lot of what I teach is helping people to get proficient with the ancestor facet of the overall path. 
and occasionally there are others who also uh, experience that as more of a specialization rather than just a, a proficiency. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm hearing that really the people you work with are mostly healers and people who wouldn't mm-hmm. really, it would help them and benefit them and their clients to be proficient in this. And so some of the people <clears throat> that I work with who are seeking clarity of calling, some are healers, and you know, some are in corporate America or in different situations where they're not, um, they're, they're learning the deeper reason why they're here, but why they're here may, may um, show up in very um, traditional settings. And so um, I guess I'm curious, what would you say to people who may or may not be healers in terms of why connecting with ancestors would help them in relation to their calling? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Well, it depends. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a good and a big question. The uh, first uh, self interested motivation, which is a totally fine, uh, to do a bit of ancestor work, is that you can through getting to know your recent ancestors and then the older ones before them, you can have more clarity on what sort of blessings and positive inheritances come to you through your bloodlines mm-hmm. and a more and a bit of, and there's more opportunity to consciously claim and say yes to those blessings and you can also have more clarity about which challenges come to you through your family ancestry and bloodlines a lot of the challenges people struggle with are intergenerational they're inherited even if it's not obvious from people's experience of family and so once you the roots of a pattern or a problem that maybe is a very familiar problem. Uh, you have new possibilities to transform that problem at the roots by enlisting the support of the older well ancestors to transform, to heal the intergenerational burden and pain. So personal healing, family healing can totally result from engaging the ancestors. And being willing to kind of look at what's going on directly, even if our experience of uh, family was not very positive. So there's a, re- a revaluation and a, and a reclaiming of the sacredness of family, even if, again, living family or recent family or were uh, not very well people. Yeah. And, and that leads, in addition to direct specific types of healings, it can also lead to a greater sense of, being grounded in the world, grounded in your body, uh, more rooted in time and space. Indigenous uh, traditions tend to emphasize being of a certain place. And, and people tend to get that on some level with respect to the land. Like, oh, what is it to be of a place? And you can cultivate that and feel a special connection to a place over time, even generations. But that same principle when applied to family is, is what is it to be of certain lineage what is it to be of a certain family and so there can be a greater sense of rootedness and groundedness that comes through engaging the ancestors and that's i mean there's really only good that can come from that and yeah with respect to specific calling uh, which is a calling or destiny is a big topic and there are a couple related but different ways that I tend to think about that. One would be like the question of who am I? 
in a deep spiritual sense. Like, what what am I? And that's, uh, you could say, like a more mystical angle on it, looking at what's the essence of consciousness, what is this thing that answers to my name. And then there's a question of what's my medicine, or what are my gifts, what are my talents, what are my unique uh, blessings that I walk with. And then there's a related question of what's my destiny, which implies more uh, of a doing. It implies more like what's my, uh, is it part of my destiny to have children? Is it part of my destiny to travel a lot? Uh, What's my uh, work in the world ideally about? And of course those questions are all related, but uh, the work with ancestors affects each of them. And it affects them differently a little bit. So, uh, I could keep talking, but let me take a breath and feel free to refocus. Yeah, no, I'm really enjoying everything you're saying, and there's a lot of parallels um, in our work. Um, I, you know, I speak about the beingness of calling and the doingness of calling and the mythic lens of our lives, and it's just great to hear you and your clarity about the way you relate <clears throat> calling and the ancestors. Um, I was interested in one thing that you said earlier about some people are just not ancestor people and um, in our culture because there's such a lack of awareness of ancestors as potentially alive beings who are either hungry or want to help or whatever they may be. How would you differentiate or help someone differentiate someone who's just, quote-unquote, not an ancestor person, <clears throat> excuse me, or someone who's having some blocks to actually connecting with the other world. Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, until you know what it is, it's hard to know whether or not you like it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if people have an aversion to the topic, then it's probably important that they engage it a bit. Mm-hmm. People who I, I would say don't have a ton of ancestor focus needed for their path are people who have engaged the topic. They get it. They're at peace with their family. And it just doesn't have very much charge one way or another as a topic. So it's not like a, a huge part of their path. Maybe they need to work with plants or do other kind of teaching or, you know, whatever it is, like 10,000 other things. Right. But if people have an aversion to the topic, it's probably good to engage it. And what I observe, and it's also talked about this way in a lot of traditional paths, at least the ones I've had contact with, we tend to inherit relatively more of our particular medicine or gifts from one lineage more than another. Uh, In Ifa, sometimes people will see individuals as a reincarnation of their father's ancestors or mother's ancestors. Uh, In in other maybe uh, native paths, there'll be a tendency to, to say, oh, well, this medicine, this affinity with these spirits comes through your mother's people for example. And so we inherit gifts along each of our major bloodlines. And until you go in and be curious and seek to understand what those are, often they're expressed a little bit, but not as much as they could be in in our everyday life. And so one of the questions when you talk about clarifying destiny is until you have really greeted your older, awake, elder ancestors, like the ones before remembered names. We're talking old, old, um, big collective type spirits. Until you've seen the spiritual or mythic roots that 
the different bloodlines source from, it's hard to even clarify the question of which ancestral legacy are you personally carrying most strongly? Like I was least close in life with my father's father and struggled some with my dad growing up, although we're good now. And, and, uh, and so I felt most close with my mother's mother growing up and had the good fortune to know all, all four of my grandparents. And the ancestrally speaking, I'm most close to my father's father's lineage. And so the experience we have in life of family is not always a clear indicator of where the spiritual affinity is going to be with certain bloodlines. And so that's one thing is it's hard to know what your medicine is until you have a vocabulary for different kinds of medicine and you can feel, Oh yeah, I really appreciate this. It's not my root energy, but I really appreciate it. It's part of what I walk with this. However, wow. Yeah, this is my, my comfort zone. I really, I'm at home with this kind of energy. Right. And so getting to know your own ancestors is nice because you're getting to know parts of your own psyche as well, because we're partly made out of ancestral consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's another part of the the pleasure of the work is getting to know different different energies we're made out of. Right, and I'm really hearing a lot about tracking, which I work with a lot too. Is just where what is showing up? Is there a lot? <clears throat> is there a lot of life force in one area? Is one is when you engage something else? Is there nothing that gets sparked? And learning to listen to the energetics of our experience, or the somatics of our experience how our imagination may get sparked and all those things that tell us this is something to follow versus, well, this may not have a lot of medicine or energy or information for you. Yeah. One of of the big wounds, one of the ways, uh, people like most people in this culture, most people who would listen to this call, are there's a ton of people in the West who are not raised, and in the world, who are not raised with the support of healthy tribal culture or some something like it, right? And one of the ways that that uh, wounding or disconnect uh, shows up is a, uh, a lack of um, a sense for uh, rootedness and a lack of sense of um, larger passion, calling. And, and so, uh, sorry, there's my train of thought a little bit. Um, Yes, yeah, I'm hearing you. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Go no, ahead. That's okay. uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot to be said about how how cultures can be designed in a way and lived in a way that support people remembering who they are, being reflected and mirrored who they are, and and being shown that their gifts are wanted. Whereas in this culture, even if you suddenly, you know, like you said, vision quest, you may get a a strong sense of who you are, and then how do you bring that into the world? And sometimes it feels like, does anybody want my gift? Does anybody see me? Or all the marketing that needs to happen to, to say, hello, I'm here, I have a gift. I mean, it's just not set up communally for people to say, oh, we know who you are and what you bring, and we need what you have. I don't know if that's where you're headed, but that's what it sparks for me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The... Uh... There's a, the quality, I mentioned it earlier, but one of the things that comes from ancestor work is, is 
I mentioned it as a sense of rootedness, but another related thing is a sense of healthy self-esteem, like a sense of uh, really being part of a, a continuum right. of, of consciousness, of family, of intergenerational you know, coherence. That, that rootedness, that self-esteem is present in, in my, uh, I've seen it in action in people who are, are standing where their tribal people have been for a long time mm-hmm. or who have a really active practice culturally of honoring ancestors and family. There's a sense of people know their place. They know they're supported. They know that when they die, they'll be received by the ancestors. They know that they have a place. There's a quality of being at home and being at home in your body. That's super foundational. It sets up a, very, a much more grounded, a much more uh, healing and wholesome vibration. So that's something that people who don't grow up with that tend to consciously or unconsciously envy about tribal cultures. Yeah. And, uh, and it's something that can be intentionally cultivated by getting to know our own ancestors. And it also, getting to know our own ancestors also, if you stick with it, 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 I would say, requires some amount of reckoning with the history of colonialism, sexism, racism, you know, rotten forms of discrimination that are still playing out. But we see that that's part of our own history somehow or another. And if we can set up a healing vibration around that within ourselves by relating with our own ancestors in a good way, then that, in turn, it helps us to be useful for others. We can be grounded and kind about all the uh, intergenerational wounds that are still playing out culturally. So, yeah, that's really important, and um, it reminds me of an experience I had where it kind of working with with earning money was always a, a very strong block, and I wasn't really sure why. And uh, eventually, I ended up connecting it with the ancestors and did a ritual around forgiveness of my European ancestors who came to this land and all the European ancestors that came to this land and all the havoc and um, genocide and all the things that happened here. And in my ability to just call them and forgive them, which wasn't easy, um, I realized Mm -hmm. that my relationship with money was unconsciously equated it with oppression and until I, until I was able to forgive and bring some of my own compassion for what these people who were coming here were experiencing and running from, um, I wasn't really able to allow myself to receive money. And so that's just mm-hmm. one example of how ancestral healing, first of all, can be unconsciously blocking things in our lives, and second of all, the power of, of naming it and speaking directly to the ancestors in whether they need healing, whether we need healing, and they're obviously related, and uh, the power of uh, the healing that can come from that. So I really appreciate you. Sure. Another, another thing that might be relevant for the, the topic we're focusing on is it's possible to directly tune in with ancestors, what I would call ancestors of vocation. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're a therapist and you want to be an awesome therapist. Mm-hmm. You can also honor Carl Jung and other uh, now ancestor therapists on your shrine if that feels right to you and feels good spiritually. If you're teaching martial arts, you have a lineage 
of martial arts teacher, teachers that have passed. If you're a firefighter, you know, you can honor some of the uh, distinguished ancestors of that vocation. They may, they might also be blood or lineage ancestors, but they might not be. And that's, it's okay to honor different types of ancestors. Another big type being ancestors of place or of the land where you're at. Unless your people have been living where you're at for a while, then the ancestors of place are probably different than your ancestors of blood. And so it's good to honor both. And what, what we're doing, you know, what we're doing when we're honoring ancestors is we're trying to show up well with our, with our humanity, with the collective spirit of human, with the human totem. The ancestors really are the collective wisdom of the species. And our connection personally with the ancestors is our particular personalized way of engaging that bigger spirit, that bigger mystery. And that's super important right now. The ecological meltdown that we're living through and will be for the foreseeable future is driven by human ignorance, greed, stupidity, etc. right? Mm-hmm. It's not that there's a problem with the earth. There's a problem with the part of the earth that is human, and the problem is that we get confused about who we are and we act selfishly and destructively, right? And in a way that causes separation and harm. And so when we are seeking to have healing among humans, whether it's in the seen or the unseen, whether it's with the living or the the ancestors, we're also participating in the healing of the earth or trying to temper and uh, slow down the destruction that's underway. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's no separation between ancestor work and earth work. It's a bit of a false distinction that people get into. Right, it's important to remember. And, and the earth-based cultures all had ancestors at, as a centerpiece to their, to their understanding and their cosmology. So, yeah. We're just putting the pieces back together. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad that you named these different um, kinds of ancestry vocation and ancestors of place and blood ancestors. And um, I would add um, that sometimes sp- spiritual teachers can show up for people as ancestors that may have passed um, that are still guiding them from the other side. I've noticed that quite a bit. Um, Another generalization would be, and it doesn't always hold true, I don't mean so gender gender normative about everything, but generally speaking, for women, and uh, the mother's mother's lineage is especially important, generally speaking for men, father's father's lineage tends to be especially important. Mm. Partly because we benefit, I say we benefit from seeing ourselves as part of a, larger system as part of a larger network of consciousness. This gets back to an even more primary question of who am I and what am I? And, and so one, one part of that answer for me, at least of what am I is I am an expression of ancestral um, inheritance, continuity, etc. I'm also shaped by the world around me. I'm also uh, unique in the universe as is everyone else and the the part of me that is shaped by intergenerational stuff is that makes me like any other animal or plant or mushroom or whatever uh, that there is a sense of being situated within a certain lineage of creatures yeah. you know all 
alligators are related to their mother alligators and the ones before them. And so we have a more accurate understanding of what we are when we're situated in lineage. And if we're male, it's good to notice the male lineage especially because it's it's an immediate mirror for what we are. doesn't mean that uh, and in, in saying that, I, I want to like immediately follow to say that our, our view of lineage tends to be really dominated by the last generation or two. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable, but it's also uh, too limiting because we, each of us has thousands of uh, direct lineage ancestors before us in every bloodline. We've been around as human beings per se for about 200,000 years. And the spiritual energy of those previous lives and ancestors is still available to us if we tune in. Time time is totally bendy in the spiritual spirit world. So, yeah. Hmm. Broad, broad perspective. Thank you. Yeah. That's very interesting. I I, um, have a much stronger relationship with my mother's side, and my father's side is often very quiet when I call on my ancestors so I, and I have never heard that so I appreciate that it's really interesting and so when you're calling on these these ancient ones whose names we no longer know um, my experience with ancestors as I've gotten deeper into the practice is that now I know who I'm speaking to there's oh my great-great-grandfather is here oh you know but when we're we're calling these ancient ones whose names we do not know do you experience it as a collective ancient energy do you experience it as in an individual energy, how how is that different than calling on someone that you may know their name? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, of course, people have different experiences of that. I can speak to my own experience and what I observe and others that I step through the work. Uh, it seems that the more well any given ancestor is, and the the longer it's been since they lived on Earth, the more likely they are to appear in a, in a more collective way as more of the faith of a network of consciousness rather than an individual soul in a discrete way. And the, the more uh, troubled or the more um, recent someone is to the present, the more likely they are to be uh, just on their own as appear in an individual way. Uh, so having said that, the dead who are well and bright can still very much have personality and temperament and appear as uh, it's a great scene in the movie Contact with Jodie Foster and where the friendly aliens are appearing as her father because she her father's passed and she loved her father in, in the movie and, and, and then they're like, sorry, we had to use this memory in order to appear to you because this is what you recognize. Mm. And so the ancestors are a little like that in my experience that they will put on the face of uh, what we can relate with in order to engage. But the energy that is animating that mask or that face is is a much bigger network of energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can happen sometimes uh, with dreams, for example, about uh, recently past ancestors. Sometimes it's just, uh, sometimes it's a dream that they're troubled in spirit and, and assuming it's about them, like it actually is a contact dream, 
And it's not just the personal about us stream only. It's possible the recent dead are actually are troubled and they need some sort of assistance, offering, engagement, ritual in order to fully join the ancestors. That's one type of dream of contact. Another would be where you're contacting pretty much just their spirit, but they're well. And so it's bright, it's good, it's like, oh, I dreamt of my grandmother. She had a message for me. Yay. Sweet, complete interaction. A third type of dream, which is uh, also occurs and feels different than the second one, is where there's a sense that you're encountering a really big force or a big energy, but it's wearing the face of, let's say, your grandmother. Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, that's something very magical is happening here. In that case, one, what could be happening is that you're encountering the lineage, but the lineage is uh, wearing the face of your grandmother. So it's not that it isn't also your grandmother, but it's like she's the the lead dancer on this uh, long Chinese dragon. And so the, the, the head of the dragon knows the whole body and has the energy of the whole body. And so even when it's a collective energy, they sometimes still present as an individual. But it's an individual that's like um, the face of the, of the board in a good way, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think, uh, I, the, but yeah, I would, I would see generally, I would see the collective dead, you know, if you use another metaphor is the collective dead, like steam, the recent dead, like water and the living, like ice, maybe slush. It's like the, the closer you are to the living, the slower you are to change the collective dead because they've been deceased for a while and they're not even uh, remembered by name, usually the older dead they can often uh, change their state relatively quickly. Um, but the, and those who are still remembered can still change their state relatively quickly, but, they, uh, but they, they're tethered a little bit still to the memory of their incarnation. Huh. Well, this feels like advanced ancestral work. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's interesting. I want to make sure also we just also kind of address um, for people who this is really new to um want to make sure we bridge also into some practical things that people yeah, sure. do um and also really uh, i i'm hearing what you're saying about sometimes it's got a personal face on it but it's collective and i also want to honor for people who do experience their personal grandparents coming to be able to differentiate that and and also trust that like there's some people whose grandmothers come and they very specifically want to teach them about plants or um you know, a very specific thing that wants to be passed on from a from a an ancestor who is more recent that you have some of the gift of, but you haven't really used it, and they're really there in a very personal way to to assist you and help you remember um, how to access that medicine that's still very alive, but maybe a, a little latent. So, sure. really getting what you're saying about the collective, and I really want to honor people's experience when it feels personal not to because I can imagine myself going oh my god I I hope that really is my grandmother you know does that mean that's not her so I want to honor the whole continuum you know yeah for sure yeah and I'm hearing there's a very there's almost an archetypal energy that comes when it's um the collective it's a different quality yeah and and the more the recent dead are well and have joined that collective the more the recent dead can also be a medium or an expression of that archetypal energy 
but until they've really become ancestors and not just, you know, ghosts, then then it's harder for them to, to become that energy, basically. Right. Yeah. But on a, on a practical note, one of the first things, and it sometimes feels like a downer kind of thing, is that because of how much intergenerational mess most people are born into in this culture, it's really good at the front end of ancestor work to have a little bit of professional support in some way. Mm-hmm. Like if you were going to do Aikido as a martial art, it wouldn't work as well to just learn online. If you were going to do Pilates, you could maybe teach yourself, but going to a Pilates class is kind of good. Uh, same with dentistry, same with anything. And with ancestor work, it's not that people can't just begin to relate directly with their own ancestors. They can. But the note of caution in there is that not all of the dead are equally well. Some of those who die are not at peace. And until you know whether or not any given recently deceased person, recent meaning in the last 100, 200 years, let's say, until you know that they are well and they are truly bright and settled and at peace, it's good to, to not be sure, to be like, well, I don't know. And so I encourage people to be cautious, not fearful, but just discerning at the start of the work instead of just, I'm going to invoke all my ancestors Mm -hmm. because like, Oh, I'm excited about ancestors. I want to invoke all of them by name. May they all come be here. Well, if that invocation works, it might not be good for your health and happiness Mm -hmm. because they might come. And if they come and they're not well, then, then you are now relating with unseen ghosty energy. That's not well. And so those who are not yet well, can become well. That's a lot of what I step people through when I do workshops or teaching or individual session work is helping people to actually get to know the state of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And when they're already well, then by all means celebrate and honor that relationship, feed it. It's great. Draw on that for support. And when they're not well, instead of just cutting it off and avoiding, you know, let's say my whatever, my dad's people were not well, so therefore I'm not going to think about them at all. Okay, well, then you just have a cutoff, which is better than a total mess, but it's not quite as good as a healed relationship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, because of the history in this culture, uh, that's, in my experience, the first cycle of work involves ideally a bit of assessment of how the condition of someone's ancestors, claiming and celebrating what's already well and gently and safely engaging in a healing and helpful way in the areas that are not yet well. Yes. That's an important important piece. And I, I think it's, you know, when we're going to invoke, and the people who are listening to this who are um, in the course are going to have their own homework to do and their own explorations. And so it's a good reminder just also naming. And I think it can also be this simple sometimes is to say, I'm, you know, this, you know, well, first of all, one of the most 
basic and potent things to me about speaking with ancestors is just speaking as if you'd speak to someone else and speaking your heart. So, hi, <laughs> this is new to me. Yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I'm asking that you know I connect maybe with one or two ancestors that can be a healing for me right now. I'm not you know, sure. not calling in everybody, so I'm really asking, you know, and just being very specific about what we're asking, and very specific about I'm only calling in the ones that could actually help me and perhaps help me with my calling because that's what I'm working with right now. And in that kind of distinction and um, specificity. I think that's one layer of protection that can happen, you know? I, I agree. Uh, just being clear, I welcome contact with my loving, wise, helpful ancestors. Right. So that, just that extra qualifier. Yes. You're like, any, any of those who are not well, God bless you. May you become well. That's not what I'm doing right this minute. Exactly. You know, love to you, boundary to you. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah like that's fine. That. Yeah. So what would you give as um, a helpful practice for someone who's really new to this? If, if you were to kind of give, uh, you know, Ancestral Work 101, what would you say would be an entry point thing to, to do, something to engage in? Well, I wish there was something super simple, um, but as soon as, the, the the entry level practices get any traction. What happens is the ancestors want to call our attention to the work that needs done for the repair. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a little bit like trying to relax in a house under construction. Mm. And uh, and that that can be discouraging for people that are maybe not inclined to invest the upfront energy and, you know, finishing the construction project, so to speak. Uh-huh. But you can, uh, what I would say is about the repair element is that that's a finite process. Uh, once you do some ancestral repair work, you really don't need to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, once it's well, it's well. Then it's just maintenance mode. But I would say in general, uh, Inviting contact with the loving and wise ancestors just through heartfelt prayer is great. Noticing your dreams and seeing if there are ancestors that want to speak in dreams. Actually learning uh, on a historical genealogy level about family history can be super helpful. Mm -hmm. And starting to think in terms of what are the blessings that I've inherited from a different bloodline and what are the burdens or challenges that I've inherited. So starting to see your own life through an intergenerational lens, if you don't already see it that way, but it's not, it's not encouraged necessarily culturally or not all the time. And so uh, that shift of perspective of self can be really helpful. And I work strongly with the practice of making offering. So you could ask just intuitively, hey, loving ancestors of mine, what are some offerings that you would enjoy? Maybe it's some type of food or drink or flowers or candle or stone or song or incense, something. So ask them what's one simple thing you can do to honor them. And then do whatever that is and notice the echo back. Notice that you're setting up a relationship of building trust with them. And 
And from that place, as you, as you feel a sense of contact develop, you can start to ask for their support in a more explicit way. And that's cool. That's good. Uh, the more you let in their support and care, the more an actual relationship can develop. Right. Well, those are beautiful first steps. Is there anything in terms of genealogy that you would recommend as a resource? In terms of yeah, I have a, yeah, I have um, on the ancestor work page of my home site at the very bottom. There's a link to a few different uh, free databases. One is the that's the Mormon Family Search.org, and the other one that's free that I've had good success with is Roots Web. Dot com. If you approach it in a certain way, it's, it's useful. Um, and people who, uh, especially folks who have any Native or African American ancestry, uh, I, I would be not, don't be discouraged. There are actually, just in the last five, ten years, a lot more developed uh, genealogy research uh, resources that are available, often for free. And so, um yeah and yeah yeah like that good so um just to conclude i mean you are one of the you know main resources i'm going to have in terms of this um this particular focus on ancestry and calling and so is there do you want to name the things that someone perhaps who's not local how they might draw upon your help what what you offer And yeah, I know sure. you're really I mean, coming to the Bay Area, but um, yeah. No, I do. I, I come to the Bay Area a few few times a year for workshops and teaching okay. sessions. But the on my site, the ancestralmedicine.org, there's an archive of uh, 13 full-length interviews on ancestor work, and I have one there where I go into uh, further depth in a, in a different way on ancestor work. And so that's that's a free, easy resource for different teachers and. I do individual sessions. I do a lot of sessions by phone and Skype. So I do distance work, and I uh, yeah, I do training here in North Carolina and California. And I actually have a free monthly ancestor work support call that I've set up oh, recently wonderful. as well. So people are welcome to call in from wherever they're at once a month. But all that all that's on my website. So just reach out, reach right. out if it's useful, and be hopeful about the work. Be encouraged about the work. It's it's not. Ancestor work is not just this esoteric niche of shamanic stuff or not just the, you know, I, I would hope that it would not be seen as a really fringe, unusual thing. It's actually very human, very cross-cultural kind of thing that, that relates to healing, uh, cultural healing that we need for people yeah. to ground in with their own ancestors and come to respect themselves like that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's been really rich to speak with you. Yeah, thank um, you. 